Uhuru. Uhuru, you're listening to the Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show, broadcast live every Tuesday at 12 p.m. on Black Power 96.3, WBPULP, St. Petersburg, Florida, and now available as a podcast as well. You can follow us on Podbean. Go to uhurusolidarity.podbean.com. That's uhurusolidarity.podbean.com. My name is Jamie Simpson. I'm Penny Hess. I'm Jesse Neville. And we want to welcome you back to this week's Reparations in Action Roundtable discussion, where we talk about some of the most pressing issues of these times of a colonial system in profound crisis and resistance from African people and colonized people throughout the world. And today we are very honored to have special guests, Secretary General Luezi Kinshasa of the African Socialist International and Tafari Mugheri, Chairman of the African People's Socialist Party of Occupied Azania. Uhuru Secretary General Luezi and Chair Tafari, and thank you both for being here this morning. Uhuru comrades, Uhuru Phineas and Uhuru comrade Jesse, it's a great pleasure as usual to be with you comrades. Uhuru. Uhuru comrades. Uhuru. Thank you both so much for being here. Secretary General Luezi is the uh, is, is Secretary General of an incredibly important organization, the African Socialist International, an organization, uh, an association of African socialist organizations throughout the, the world that was initiated by the African People's Socialist Party. And uh, Chair Tafari, your role in occupied Azania, commonly known as South Africa, is critical to African liberation. Today's episode is also part of the Black Power 96 membership and fund drive, and we want to raise $500, and we want to express appreciation to everyone who contributed last week, who stood up and supported this radio station, Black Power 96.3. We have raised $300, and we have $200 left to raise for our goal. So let's make sure that we surpass that today. And if you want to help us reach that goal, you can go to blackpower96.org slash donate and express your support for the independent voice of the African working class. All of us on this program, Reparations in Action, we are white people who believe in solidarity with African liberations and with reparations to African people. And we believe that reparations is a question that demands action on our part, accountable action on the part of European or white people. And we'd like to begin, as always, by saluting Black Power 96.3 WBPULP in St. Petersburg and the African People's Education and Defense Fund, the nonprofit which guides this work, whose mission statement is to address the grave disparities in human rights, economic development, health, health care, and education faced by the African or Black community. Now, we turn to our very special interview with Secretary General Luezi Kinshasa and African People's Socialist Party Occupied Azania Chairman Tafari Mugheri. Uhuru, and thank you, Jamie. And I, I want to say what an honor it is to be on this show today with the Secretary General of the African Socialist International, the organization led by Chairman Omalia Shatella, who is the chair also of the African People's Socialist Party. We had the honor of having Chairman Omalia Shatella with us last week, and it was 
such a profound and dynamic discussion. I am very honored to be under the leadership in the African People's Solidarity Committee of the African People's Socialist Party. And, you know, I, again, I want to salute Secretary General Louise Kinshasa, whose responsibility in the movement for African liberation is to build the uh, African revolution and the organization on the ground throughout Africa, throughout Europe, where millions of African people have been forced to go in pursuit of their stolen resources, and also to salute African People's Socialist Party occupied Zania chairman Tafari Mugheri. And I just want to say before we start that I, I salute Tafari, Chair Tafari, who is out there in occupied Zania organizing every day, organizing the masses of African people to complete the African revolution of that was for one thing, building in the 1960s and beyond, and to, to salute him for his work to unite Africa under the leadership of the African working class and liberate Africa. And I, I wanna remark that it is there in Johannesburg area, Houghton province. It is the middle of winter right now. Um, and according to my phone, it is 43 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, that, you know, we're looking at a situation where there's no electricity on right now. Um, and this is because that even after the so-called liberation of what is still today occupied as Zania, that it is under neocolonialism in which white people still own the majority of the land and African workers are forced into, into hideous conditions um, in what's called townships, which is of course a complete euphemism for um, just brutal conditions faced by the African working class there. And that this is on land um, that, um, that was colonized by Britain and other places with incredibly valuable diamonds, gold, platinum, other resources that go to, that make that force African workers there to to create life for white people and for imperialism and not for themselves. And this is part of the struggle that we stand in solidarity with as the African People's Solidarity Committee that we owe as white people, all white people owe reparations to the African people. We have the stolen resources of African people and we sit on the pedestal of the of the colonization of Africans, whether they're inside the borders of the United States or any place else on the planet and um, stand in genuine solidarity with the right of African people to fight colonialism wherever they are, to liberate themselves and to have the total return of their resources and the value of their stolen labor. So I just really wanna begin with that salute. And I wanted to ask Secretary General Louise Kinshasa, I know that you are from, you originally were born in Congo and you are now residing in Europe as an exile, but that you are still very much involved with the struggle in Congo. And that is very much a key part of the struggle for African liberation. And one of the things that you have been 
working on lately or a campaign that you have been carrying out, and I think a demonstration last week, was to force Belgium to pay reparations to African people. And I just wondered if you could sum up a little bit, first of all, about what it was that Belgium, that King Leopold, the atrocities that he carried out in the name of white people in Belgium and in Europe uh, against African people, specifically in the area that's called Congo. You can tell us a little bit about that history and what the struggle is. Uhuru. Yes, uh, Uhuru, uh, uh, <clears throat> these are very uh, uh, important program because uh, <clears throat> these two programs that uh, the African working class uh, can uh, inform uh, the world uh, uh, about its own independent uh, summation of history, particularly of the colonial history. So when we talk uh, about uh, Belgium, uh, the first thing we would like to say, people need to be aware, Belgium is simply a territory uh, that is um, split between uh, Dutch, Holland, and uh, they call them the Flemish, and also French, they call them the Wallon, and also a bit of Germans. So basically the European, uh, part of the, of, the, of the European nation that was built through the colonial slavery. Because one thing uh, that is associated with uh, Leopold II, the King of Belgium, he contributes to the, uh, the uh, deliberate um, manipulation uh, of history. They tend to, you know, to, to, to force uh, obscurantism on the people that Belgium became a colonial power at the Berlin Conference, which is not true because um, Belgium is one of the first places that uh, what you call a Wall Street, uh, but in Europe was developed. I don't remember if it was in Brussels or it was somewhere in a Flemish part, but one of the first, the first or the second, uh, the French call it bourse, you know, you will say in English purse, you know, to mean basically uh, Wall Street uh, was developed. And they, that was developed well before colonization uh, of, uh, you know, of Berlin Conference. So that's really uh, uh, an important uh, point. And also, when we talk about colonialism, uh, people need to be aware that's from the beginning of colonialism. What we're talking about is uh, industrialized colonialism, because what they call slavery, which we call uh, in the African People's Party, uh, colonial slavery was colonization prior, before Europe industrialization. So you have two aspects of the same thing. Colonialism before industrialization and colonialism after industrialization. And the Berlin Conference tried to say colonization started Berlin Conference, which is not true, which is just industrial colonization because now they need the raw material in Africa to sustain, uh, to feed uh, the industrialization of Europe on the top of free labor. But they need now, you know, uh, they need that. So Belgium was a part of that, was the creation of that in 1830, you know, an arrangement between the, the Dutch, the French, and the Germans, and, uh, you know, the powers in Europe at the time. And then also Leopold uh, II uh, didn't have uh, a colony of his own. They had a collective colony because, you know, the rest of the world, it was like a colony 
uh, for you, even it might be led by United uh, by uh, United States, like in the U.S. That's not uh, in a colony. Uh, it, it could be led by England, or it could be led by uh, France. But it was the European nation colony. Any European can leave Europe, and they are most of those uh, are colonies. So King Leopold wanted to be uh, a leader amongst the leaders. With a colony of his own, he was not really seen as a leader. He was a cousin of the Queen Victoria of Britain, but that wasn't enough. He was the colony of his own. And his example was the Dutch colonization in Indonesia, where they kidnapped people, where they mutilated people, where they woke people to death. Because I, I don't want people to, to think Leopold uh, II was the beginning of, um, you know, of brutalities and uh, murders, and, you know, no. He, he, he already had an example. That was the Dutch, and he's clear on that, the Dutch model of colonization. And when he was able to get Congo, or what they call Congo from the Berlin Conference, and that's where he starts, you know, he went straight at the do, you know, kidnapping people, mistreating people, working people to death. Uh, it was a vast uh, enterprise of death. And people had to realize, Leopold II did not invest in the Congo because he didn't have the money uh, to go invest in the Congo. It's because I say Congo was a personal uh, property of Belgium, but it was worth 15 million uh, uh, franc of, the, of that time. Uh, by the time he died, he was a billionaire. So he was not even a billionaire when uh, he became uh, you know, the, uh, the owner, so to speak, uh, of Congo. And the first capital the Belgian accumulated in the Congo was through theft of ivory and rubber. None of them required industrial production. None of them required heavy machinery. It was just manual labor using our own equipment because you have to carry baskets in the forest, deep in the forest, to collect the rubber. This was our own basket, traditionally made. And ivory, that was our work uh, to, you know, to capture the elephant. We had stocks, many, many villages, so many uh, leaders would have stocks of ivory as, um, as a currency. You know, you could, you could bargain, uh, exchange goods using ivory. So it was common to find uh, in many places, town or villages, uh, leaders there uh, having access uh, to ivory. So these two uh, commodities uh, basically constitutes the starting point of uh, amassing vast fortune by Leopold II. And uh, in the process, it was murder on a large scale, like particularly in that part of Africa that didn't experience that before. You're talking about in the middle of Africa, not at the coast, on the coast of Africa, but right in the middle. So. The uh, population of Congo uh, was estimated by, to be something like 30 million uh, by, 1818, uh, by 1885. And the population of Congo, uh, 10 years uh, uh, later, let's say by uh, 1908, it was estimated to be less than 15 million uh, people. It was supposed to be less because by the Congo independence in 1960, the population was 14 million. So you can say 
the whole duration of the Belgian rule, the population of Congo never grew. Stayed below 15 million. And I can give you a little example of murders that, that took place. So this in itself is a testimony of the level of atrocities, brutality, just the extent of genocide. Uh, Leopold II and the Belgian government, uh, who took over from him, uh, you know, imposed uh, on our people. So this is just uh, uh, some of the uh, aspects of uh, Leopold II rule. Also, the other one is that uh, with the wealth that accumulates in the Congo, Belgium was transformed. Leopold II was engaged in a vast um, uh, uh, project of uh, building uh, in Brussels, in Antwerp, in Gant, uh, in uh, Liège, all those cities, you have a magnificent uh, uh, edifices, uh, buildings of all kinds uh, being built. And uh, that's explained partly why white people in Belgium love their political so much. Because under this rule, they saw a rapid transformation of Belgium. Belgium having so many you know, modern uh, buildings, uh, just unbelievable. And uh, you have cities, uh, you can take Antwerpen, even today, Antwerpen is the capital of diamond. You all know Belgium doesn't produce diamond, but it became the capital of diamond because of colonization of Congo. All the diamonds stolen there were sold in Antwerpen. And Antwerpen also specialized in cutting diamond, not just selling it, but cutting it. And uh, you have uh, the city of Ghent. Uh, it became a great city in terms of Texas. All the cotton from Congo was coming to, uh, to Ghent. And uh, Holbrook, uh, Oboken, I think it's called, it's a kind of Flemish uh, name. Uh, this place where the cobalt, the cobalt were coming. So you can say most of the cities specialize in, transform in transformation of minerals, uh, transformation processing of textiles, you know, uh, based on cotton. Uh, Antwerp specialized in diamond. Also, Antwerp became, up to this moment, one of the biggest ports in Europe, just because of that. So Belgium basically uh, placed in the Europe system. You can say, without even the colonization of Congo, Belgium would not have been given the role to be the center of Europe, like Brussels is the capital of the EU. And uh, it's greatly, you know, uh, to the the, uh, the fortune basically that accumulated uh, through Congo and the banking system. The way Societe Generale became one of the biggest banks in Europe uh, because of the wealth uh, they got through Congo because they control what they call the Union Minier. Union Minier control all the mining uh, companies uh, uh, in Katanga. So Belgium went to war. Uh, the first uh, the first World War. Uh, the Belgian war effort was funded by the wealth coming uh, from Congo. Uh, export of cobalt, uh, export of uh, even uh, food uh, for the soldiers. Uh, you go to the Second World War, Belgium came out of that war without debt. The only country in the Western Europe that came out of the war without debt because Congo funded the whole war effort of Belgium from ammunition to food, everything. Not only that, in 1945, 
the colony of Congo produced an excellent, excellent, as you call it, in terms of budget. It was no deficit budget because they worked the people to death. So all these, uh, in fact, even the, uh, the, the Belgian uh, colonial governor wrote somewhere, uh, I don't have the settlement, but he said something that we have exploited the people so much that we have reached the limit of exploitation. That's, uh, I think the name is General uh, uh, Governor Petty, I think his name. He said something like that, you know, just to, you know, uh, to say uh, colonialism is, uh, you know, enterprise of brutality, of murder, of genocide. That's what it is. But if Leopold II up to uh, this, the end of Second World War, Belgium definitely uh, added uh, themselves in the history of colonization as one of the most brutal colonizers history has never known. And uh, that's why, basically, um, we felt that uh, the neocolonialism in Congo, they don't refer to colonization uh, so much, and particularly to the genocide. There is, there are no monuments uh, to the victims of genocide in the Congo. There are no ceremonies or anything. There is no demand for reparation. There is nothing. They don't even talk about colonization. So we felt first we have to reintroduce in a serious way uh, the struggle for reparation. Uh, we don't want to be giving the space uh, to the people who in Africa. They only talk about the rule of law, which is the rule of imperialist law, which doesn't really make sense to the people, but that's what they talk about all the time. Human rights, things like that. There is no human rights under colonization. And uh, we felt we, we, we have to introduce the reparations and also introduce the struggle against colonization itself. We will complete the Black Revolution in the 60s. It's a struggle against colonialism. Uh, the only difference now, uh, why a power has black faces, but uh, this struggle, uh, the colonization has intensified. There is no doubt about that. You heard uh, Commander Fari talking about the lack of uh, electricity uh, in South Africa. That's profound, really, really profound. It means uh, hospitals can't function, factories can't function, young people can't study, you know, uh, things like that. So that's basically uh, the background of. Um, why we did that demonstration. And uh, we also were aware that uh, the George Floyd uh, struggle has, you know, uh, repercussion in Europe and uh, everyone is trying to ride on it. So we also want to deny the Belgian ruling class, uh, you know, attempt to ride on it. They did anyway. So by putting the reparation demand right there uh, in the mix. Yeah, that's what I can say. Uh, I'm not sure if I left anything, but that's what I want to say. Or, Uhuru, thank you so much for that clarity, Secretary General Luezi Kinshasa. We really appreciate it. And on that question of the um, ongoing colonial oppression of Congo and Belgium, on July 4th of this year, uh, 2020, the um, Belgian king, King uh, Philippe of Belgium, made a statement uh, to see, uh, the question of the uh, colonization of Belgium. He stopped short of making any kind of a statement about reparations or uh, any formal apology. He made sure to stop short of that. But I wonder if you could just speak to that uh, having happened just four days after that demonstration at the, uh, at the embassy in Belgium demanding reparations that the African People's Socialist Party held. 
Yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed when I check uh, the media, I noticed that uh, a lot of people start talking about reparations, uh, which, you know, never you know, demanded reparations before. Uh, I saw even some of the former ministers in the New York government criticizing the King of Belgium, saying that he didn't talk about reparations. As far as I can remember, we were the only one who were talking about uh, reparations. So that's one thing I saw uh, as a direct impact uh, of the uh, demonstration uh, we did, because, you know, we put information uh, a couple of weeks uh, before that, and we, we did programs online uh, to demand that, basically to push for uh, that demand. And uh, one thing uh, is absolutely uh, uh, certain is that the king of Belgium uh, does not intend you know, to, to, to give excuses. People have to be absolutely clear. You know, it's not that difficult <laughs> to give excuses. You know, he basically what he said, he, he uh, expressed regret. That's, that's just pure hypocrisy. And you don't intend to say even uh, anything like a regret. As I said, is basically the surge of the struggle around George Floyd that have been sweeping Belgium, young people demonstrating every day, dismantling uh, the statues of Leopold II, demanding that all these statues of Leopold II be removed from the public space, for the public space, uh, that forced them to pretend doing something so that some of the people can be destroyed from participating in the struggle. Because the king now is talking about it. Well, let's see what the king is going to do. You know, he has nothing to do uh, with that. In fact, what they say, they will bring uh, a parliamentary inquiry in September. That's the usual politicians. You know, something happens. Okay, don't worry. We have an inquiry a couple of months down the line, and we deal with it. So at the moment, just wait. Give us time. That's basically what it was. You know, so what people need to realize is we have to intensify the struggle, organize more, be on the street, you know, reach out to everybody, young people and in particular, challenge white people that reparation, we don't wait for the decision of the king. Every white person must take responsibility for the colonial slavery of uh, Africans, not just with the Congo, before Congo, for all of Africa, as I said before. Belgium is, a, is, is a located in the center of the uh, Europe that was uh, enriched uh, to colonial slavery in the Americas. You know, because uh, usually what people do in Belgium, white people do in Belgium, the, the, on the left in particular, they, they remove from, the, from themselves from what happened before the Berlin Conference. They said, this is the French problem, that's the British problem. No, it is your problem too because Belgium is a part of it, you know. So the, um, the question uh, of uh, giving, uh, expressing regret, you know, that's not really uh, our problems. Our problem is the reparation domain must be addressed, must uh, be won, uh, must penetrate all sectors of, of the white population uh, in Belgium. And that's basically uh, the struggle we are involved in. And we need more people, African themselves, to believe that reparation is a just domain. And hopefully, we'll be uh, you know, going to Belgium. Uh, we'll be doing more programs, uh, really to expose 
with more details, how Belgium benefited and how Belgium continued to benefit. And how Belgium also played a critical role in the overthrow and assassination of Lumumba and his government. Because we are in neocolonialism today because of Belgium, as the whole world knows, attacked the government of Lumumba and participated in the murder of Addis Lumumba. The Belgian royal family directly uh, through, they call it King Baudouin of the time, wanted Lumumba dead. And that he did not hide it. He was a part of the inner circle of those who did everything to make sure the movement is removed from power, but also is removed, is removed from political life. So that demonstration was really, uh, uh, despite the contradiction, really uh, uh, a, a new beginning. We can put it like that. So we're looking for the development of what we started. So in September, I can tell you already, in September, we'll be back. Belgian embassy, and hopefully we're going to win more people around the world to be outside the Belgian embassy or Belgian, some kind of companies, uh, you know, some Belgian interests, wherever they are, and demanding reparation. Yes, we're demanding. Uhuru, Secretary General Louise, thank you so much for that summation. Uh, I really want to unite with that and just salute your work in uh, leading the African People's Socialist Party, where you're based, and uh, taking on that question of reparations. As you said, we can't wait for people like King Philippe of Belgium to come to this conclusion himself. Uh, this is something that has to come from oppressed people, from the African working class, and we as white people have to embrace it as our own politic as well. So I really appreciate you putting that forward, and we want to remind everyone who's listening that this program where we have the honor of speaking to Secretary General Louise and Chair Tafari um, of the African People's Socialist Party is part of this uh, web, I'm sorry, part of this membership drive for Black Power 96.3 WBPU LP in St. Petersburg. We have uh, a goal to raise at least $200 to meet our, uh, our objective today. And this is a nonprofit uh, community radio station owned and controlled by the Black community, you can go to blackpower96.org and contribute uh, right now if you want to support an independent voice for the African working class here in St. Petersburg and throughout the world where you can hear uh, leaders, innovators, theoreticians, and organizers like uh, Secretary General Louise Kinshasa at Spoken, speaking to the African community, speaking to white people who might unite with this. This is something, if you're a white person like myself, you can do this as a stance of reparations to support the independent uh, institutions of the African People's Education and Defense Fund. And uh, Chairwoman Penny Hess, would you like to sure. join us in uh, helping explain the significance of Black Power 96 and this membership well, drive? Yes, and first of all, I really want to thank uh, Secretary General Louise Kinshasa for that brilliant, brilliant and and really, really powerful statement that you were just discussing in summing up Belgian colonialism and the impact on, on Congo and on African people everywhere. And um, just hope that we know that in the next few weeks that we can have you back on to really go deeper into some of the, this amazing, you know, this powerful understanding that, that you're putting out based on African internationalism. But I want to thank Amanda Carlazzi, who has put in $50 today. Jesse right. Neville, $50. Uhuru, 
I am inputting in $25 today. Sandy Forrest out on, in Washington State, $10. And Jackson Hollingsworth, $10. So we've raised $145 towards our total of 500. And we only have, well, actually, we only have 200 left today to raise. So we only have $55 left. So let's go ahead and put that in and go over the amount that we're supposed to raise because Black Power 96.3 FM is not just about explaining the world or entertaining people. It is about changing the world. It is the voice of the African revolution, the African working class, and it is one of a kind in the US and, and in the world. And it's an incredible honor to be able to be here with Reparations in Action every week and just a jewel. There is no place else to go to hear Chairman Omali Jatela speaking, hear incredibly powerful African music from all around the world, different kinds of analysis, local programs, international programs, etc. Um, we must contribute to that and pay reparations towards the ability of the radio station that represents the voice of the African working class changing the world, we must pay reparations to that because we have these stolen resources in our hands based on the fact that we sit on the pedestal of the oppression of the colonization. And, and as uh, Louise described, the violence the terror that colonialism means that African people here inside the US and all around the world experience the colonial domination. We are the colonizers. We owe reparations. We have their stolen resources. It must go back to African people to be free, to be liberated, to, to be able to win independence for themselves and for the oppressed and colonized peoples on the planet Earth and all those who stand in solidarity with the right of African and oppressed people to be free and liberated. So, you know, I just really want to call on people to go. Uh, Jamie, if you could tell people again where they should go to um, to, to make a payment. And yes. uh, let's let's raise as much, the sky's the limit. Let's let's raise as much, turn back over the resources as much as possible today to Black Power 96. FM radio. Yes, and you can do that right now by going to blackpower96.org slash donate. That again is blackpower96.org slash donate. And uh, like Penny said, this is something that we, we have a uh, less than $100 left to reach our goal, but we want to exceed that goal. This is reparations in action. So let's make it live up to that name. And let's contribute to Black Power 96 today. And we want to Uhuru. Uhuru. Uhuru, uh, this is Jesse. I just really, really want to unite with, um, with what's been stated about the incredible analysis and history that was just given by Secretary General Louise Kinshasa. And I, I felt like I just had to contribute um, after hearing that. And it, it really deepened my appreciation for this radio station. Because in preparing for this show and in writing writing up these questions with uh, with uh, you know my co-hosts here, we were looking at some other radio shows, so-called progressive radio shows. One in particular that actually interviewed 
what's her name, Princess Esmeralda, uh, you know, one of the relatives of King Leopold. And they were really putting her forward as this champion of reparations. They even said in the headline that she had said that reparations were owed, even though if you actually listen to the interview, the word reparations never, never uh, comes out of her mouth. Um, but the thing is, even when the, the white left and so-called uh, progressives are backed into a corner and have to talk about the history of King Leopold II in the Belgium, uh, I mean, King Leopold of Belgium in Congo, uh, it, it's always done in such a way that takes it out of context and turns him into this like uniquely evil tyrant that descended from the bowel, you know, came from the bowels of hell and did all these horrible things. Then once it was exposed, you know, then Belgium took over control from Leopold and tried to change things or whatever. And that it was like some kind of aberration. I just really appreciate uh, Secretary General Louise's, uh correction of that historical revisionism that you know just showed that uh colonialism did not start with the berlin conference it didn't start with leopold and the brutality of what he carried out did not start with leopold that, that that's the essence of of europe and of colonial uh domination from the from day one and you know that analysis the understanding of african internationalism is you're not going to find another radio station where you can hear this depth, this quality of, of analysis and understanding other than Black Power 96. So I, I had to donate when I heard that. And I feel like um, everybody else listening, white people who are listening, this is not just about supporting a radio station. This is about supporting the struggle to change the world. And that's why the slogan, you know, not just explaining the world, but changing the world is so appropriate for Black Power 96. So match my uh, contribution. I did $50. I encourage anyone who's listening to go to blackpower96.org slash donate and do the same or more. I just want to say that Comrade Jackson, uh, a very profound supporter that we know in St. Petersburg, Florida, put in another $5. And Johan Bedingfield put in $50. So we have made right. our official goal. So let's go over it. And let's get back to speak with Chair Tafari from Occupy Zania, the group. Drew, fantastic. Really appreciate those contributions. Keep it coming, everyone, if we want to continue to hear from these incredible guests on this radio station that's uh, so key to the Black community and to all of us. So this, we want to turn now to African People's Socialist Party occupied Azania, Chairman Tafari. Uh, it's also known as South Africa, uh, probably to most of our, our listeners. Um, Uhuru, Chair Tafari, the president of South Africa, Cyril uh, Ramaphosa gave a speech this week in which he blamed the spread of COVID-19 on African people themselves, making the very offensive remark that, quote, reckless behavior, unquote, was the problem. He announced a ban on alcohol sales and a new curfew. Some call it a lockdown. Could you talk to us about the colonial virus? as Chairman Omalia Shetela has termed it, in occupied Azania, and how it has impacted the African community as well as the neo-colonial government's response. Uhuru, Comrade Jamie, um, just want to salute you, Comrade, as well as uh, Comrade Chairwoman Penny Hess uh, and uh, Comrade uh, Jesse. And um, firstly, Comrade, I just want to also express appreciation to the entire world movement and the leadership of the chairman Omari Shichela, who is the founder of the Uhuru movement. Um, well, typical, you know, 
obviously, of the African petty bourgeoisie to always blame of African people for, 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 for the horror that we face under colonialism. And I think we should say that uh, African people live under colonial domination even up to today, even though they talk about uh, independence or post, uh, post-colonialism and all these terms that they use in uh, academic uh, spaces, you know, African people, if you go to the townships and if you go to uh, where our black people exist today, you will see how African people are still colonized. So uh, in terms of of COVID-19 and what Silver Maposta is saying, actually this this is something that was sort of, we can even say preempted or uh, something they always anticipate actually. That the, the, the working class will respond differently from the, the citizens, which is white people and the African petty bourgeoisie. But as for the colonized masses, they always expect a different response. That is why um, when they when they had the first few cases and they realized that this uh, that this virus is going to spread everywhere, and uh, they announced a lockdown. As soon as they announced the lockdown, they deployed the army. And most of the cases were not in the townships. The cases, uh, the high number of cases, actually all the cases were were concentrated in the suburban areas where you have white people like Santin and uh, Houtin and all these places where you have affluent white people. That's where you had the like COVID-19 cases because that's even how uh, the, 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 virus spread, the virus was spread across the world through people who can afford to travel and go all over the place, right? And then now, um, when they deployed the army, they did not deploy the army in those places where the white people are located. They deployed the army in the townships, even though there was not even a single case recorded in the townships. And then this actually led to the the killing of um, over 10, 10, 10, 10 people, 10 African workers in the townships by the military, and the police are law enforcement. So this this is how African people have experienced the response by the neo-colonial government. And African people right now are concentrated, are located in the townships. The t- township is uh, is something, there was no township in Africa before Europeans uh, came here. There was no township. A township is, is something that was developed by Europeans in the urban centers for, for a reserve of labor of African people. Actually, uh, before in the 1950s, and uh, even before that, um, after the dispossession of African people here, what they did is that they created this thing that they call uh, homelands. African people will only, in 1913, in the year 1913, they introduced something called the Land Act, whereby they, uh, they snatched uh, legally, now, like snatched, appropriated to themselves, 87% of the land, and they only they left African people with only 13% of the land, only just to occupy what they call the homelands in the countryside, in the villages. And then the urban centers like Johannesburg, African people could only go there, particularly men. African women would be left in the, in the villages, and men would go in the urban centers to work. And this is how the township was developed, because uh, the, the whole thing of saying one worker is lost and then they have to go to the villages to get another worker was a, a, a very tedious process. What they had to do is to develop townships now, where people could be unemployed there, 
And then when they need you, they go and get you. Even today, when they need us, they know where to find us. And that's how, that's also a way to keep, to discipline African people in terms of, of of our labor. To say that if you misbehave in your work, then they, um, there's someone else who is looking for the job in the township, so they can just get rid of you. If you die, like like for example, in twenty in two thousand uh, two thousand and twelve, thirty four mine workers were gunned down by the South African colonial state in what they call Marikana, in London mines. Actually, the president of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, has shares in that London mine company where African people were gunned down just for, uh, for, 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 for protesting to, to get a wage, a, a higher wage than what they're getting when they produce all the value, but they had to be gunned down because there was some kind of threat. And this, the, the, the current, the incumbent, Cyril Ramaphosa, while he has shares there, he was the deputy president, and he is actually involved in the in, in that massacring of, of, of African people. So uh, COVID-19 did not create any new uh, a new new situation for African people. It is not a tragedy that uh, suddenly created poverty in the countries. Poverty has always been there. Unemployment has always been there. I hear people right now talking about uh, people losing their jobs and, and, and whatever, and this is true. A lot of people are losing their jobs. And a lot of companies, by the way, they're using this whole uh, lockdown and pandemic situation to lay off workers, to retrench workers without receiving any kind of benefit. So a lot of people are going to be, more and more people are going to become unemployed here. And uh, obviously, they're going to venture to to other to get recourse on other things like the informal sector, and uh, and, and uh, the more they do that, the more harassment they face they face from the law from law enforcement. Actually, in Johannesburg, even before the whole uh, pandemic, uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic, they were they were evicting um, informal traders in Johannesburg. These are unemployed African workers who are fending for themselves, finding for other means to survive, and they were being kicked around, some of them being arrested, their goods being confiscated by the, by, by the police. This is the existential reality of African people under colonialism. So I also I, one thing that we are also seeing with the government, how it's, it's, it's responding, is actually trying to shift the attention of, of, of people away from how they have been failing. Everything has been in disarray. All their institutions, the so-called state-owned institutions, institutions like ESCOM, uh, which, uh, which provides the electricity, which is the uh, electricity uh, company here, has been collapsing itself. No shading right now. We're talking about no electricity. This is something that has been happening uh, even before the lockdown. And right now there is a lockdown and we're still experiencing the same thing. The South African Airways uh, has been bankrupt. Uh, the uh, other companies as well. Uh, the, the, the South African Railway was also becoming bankrupt. All the state-owned institutions. Actually, another thing: the neocolonialists they don't build anything. These institutions that I'm that I'm mentioning right now, they inherited them from the apartheid regime. The the National Electric uh, Company. ESCOM is something they inherited from, from the apartheid. South African Airways inherited from apartheid. 
They don't develop anything and everything that they, they, they inherited, they're so corrupt, they're looting everything and everything is collapsing today. And the workers actually carry the brand of, of, of this whole, um, this whole that the, the African, this whole mess that the African petty bourgeoisie is creating. So that is the situation right now, comrade Uhuru. <clears throat> Uhuru, Chair Tafari, thank you so much for that brilliant overview. We have about 10 minutes left, and I wanted to turn it over to Penny Hess to see if you had a, a question you wanted to ask. Uhuru. Thank you so much, Chair Tafari. And I, before I go on, I want to just ask you one, another quick question. Uh, I want to announce that we have another donor and we want to salute Sarah Edwards who put in $20. So we are over our goal, but let's get to $300 today. Go ahead and let's put, have people put in at, and Jamie can say where, um, that you have to donate. Jamie, Jamie could you say that really quickly? blackpower96.org slash donate. That's blackpower96.org slash donate. Blackpower96.org donate slash donate. So go there and let's turn over reparations to this incredible radio station. So uh, Chair Tafari, just really want to salute you and the tremendous work that you are always out there organizing in Occupy Zania. And, you know, we were looking through different things the other day and we noticed that July 18th, which is in a couple of days, is sort of National Nelson Mandela Day or something like that. And I know that Mandela is put forward as a liberation leader um, here in the United States and around the world. Can you tell us a little bit of the truth about Nelson Mandela and what he did? Welcome, that um, no with, with Nelson Mandela because obviously the the, the 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 government right now that is in place it's it's Nelson Mandela's government that came to power in 1994. I don't know if I should say came to power because they came to power through a negotiated settlement. Nelson Mandela went to jail for 27 years and then uh, they instead of uh, of coming to power through a revolution they came to through uh, a negotiation, and uh, part of the, the, the agreements in, 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 the, in, in those negotiations was that there won't be any, uh, like African people should not discuss the question of, of, of getting our wealth back, our resources back, our land back, and so forth for something like five years. This is referred to as the Sunset Clause, it was something proposed by by uh, what's his name from, from the Communist Party, Joe Slobo, uh, the, who is a white man who propo proposed that, that they should uh, allow some kind of five years. And then after that five years, they will have something like a government of national unity. This was a, a way to, to, to allow uh, white power space to, to rearrange the, the, the colonial economy. So Nelson Mandela never tempered with, the, with actually the, 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 uh, the, the the colonizers' main interest, the primary interest of colonialism is material uh, benefit. He never entertained that. The only thing that they talked about was, oh, um, we're gonna, we are fighting against apartheid. And this whole notion of fighting against apartheid actually uh, is there to obscure the real question, which is, I mean, colonialism, because apartheid is 
is actually a form of the state. That's what the chairman, uh, uh, the chairman says. Uh, it's a form of the state, but it's still a colonial state. The same way right now we have a neo-colonial state, um, it is still colonialism. It is still colonialism. So Nelson Mandela did not change anything fundamentally for, for African people. Actually, he was convenient, very convenient for, 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 for white people because uh, during um, direct colonialism, it was clear who the enemy was. That's why African people were so mobilized in the streets to say that we are colonized under white domination and, and so forth. But right now, when they are with neo-colonialism, uh, all the blame is shifted to the masses of the people. If you are poor, they blame you. You did not go to school or something. Uh, or, or if, and then they arrest you. They say you are a criminal. And, and so that's, what, that's what's happening to black people right now. Uh, black people are lazy and so forth. This whole notion is, is brought, brought about the fact that African people are oppressed, colonized, but then they don't have a colonizer. They don't have an oppressor, which means we are all oppressors. That's what Nelson Mandela represents. And what they do with Nelson Mandela is that they, they, it, it, it actually works very well for them when we don't know our history. That's why it's important for us to study our history so that we can even know who our genuine leaders are. Who our genuine leaders are. If you turn on the TV right now, I don't, I don't watch TV, but then if you turn on the TV right now, every uh, uh, television station would be bombarding you about Nelson Mandela, showing you all the footages of Mandela in court, talking about I have fought white domination and I have fought black domination and, some, and things like that, and uh, this great man. So psych psychologically, they bombarded to you to say, oh, Nelson Mandela was a great man, uh, a very kind human being, and uh, he wanted all people to unite, he wanted the rainbow nation and so forth. And then they don't mention Robert Sobukwe, you know, who was calling for African people to, Africa to unite, to recognize our African identity. Nelson Mandela never talked about our African identity. Robert Sobuko was, uh, was jailed and then, uh, and then he was, was murdered, you know, um, in, in the 1970s. They don't talk about him. They don't talk. Steve Biko, they, they only mention them passingly. And, and they only mention them simply because uh, people are really looking for, for, for who our general heroes uh, are here in South Africa. So Nelson Mandela is... Is not really, he's not a liberator for African people. He's, he doesn't represent the interest of the African masses. He represents the interest of the African petty bourgeoisie. And if you look at the African petty bourgeoisie right now, they're living comfortably, they live, they live in suburbs, they have shares in companies that were previously monopolized by, uh, by, 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 by the white population, white people, and so forth. So Nelson Mandela is not, he's a hero. But the hero for the African petty bourgeoisie because he worked for them. But as, as for the African masses, well, he, he's not he's not the man for us. Bro, Chair Tafari, thank you so much for yet another brilliant response. Um, we only have uh, just over two minutes left in the program, so I did want to ask uh, Jesse if you have any announcements. Well, this was an amazing, amazing program. This was mm -hmm. one of the best episodes of Reparations in Action that we've ever had. And I am just deeply appreciative to um, Secretary General Louise Kinshasa and Chair Tafari Mugheri uh, for the profound uh, statements made on this program and also to my co-hosts, uh, Comrade Jamie and Chairwoman Penny Hess. And I would just like to quickly announce that the Uhuru Solidarity Movement's Make Wall Street Pay Reparations campaign is hosting 
a day of action that will be the first of many weekly days of action to target Bank of America for reparations to African people for Bank of America uh, and its involvement in uh, both domestic and international parasitic capitalist uh, exploitation of African people and their resources, including from the slavery in this country all the way up to the current police system, the police violence against African people and the mass incarceration of African people. So we're going to be holding those in cities throughout the United States, including here in St. Petersburg. And for more information, you can go to wallstreetreparations.org. And if you're interested in participating in the actions, you can uh, contact us at info at uhurusolidarity.org. Fantastic. Encourage everyone to check that out. And again, I want to echo what Jesse said and really salute and appreciate Chair Tufari Magari of uh, the African People's Socialist Party occupied Azania and Secretary General Luezi Kinshasa of the African Socialist International. It was incredible to have both of you on Reparations in Action today. And we sincerely hope that you would return and sum up these critical issues with us further on this program. You're listening to Black Power 96.3 WBPULP in St. Petersburg. And um, we want to salute everyone who contributed to this show today. You can continue to do so by going to blackpower96.org donate. I want to thank my co-hosts and co-engineers, Penny Hess and Jesse Neville and the African People's Education and Defense Fund. And as always, we'll see you next week on Reparations in Action.